But if you haven't already done so, open your Bibles to that passage, to Isaiah 42. Again, we're looking at verses 1 through 9, which I said is the, the first song of the servant found here in the second part of Isaiah. And, and being the first, it is the song that introduces us to the servant and introduces us to his work. And of course, we know that this servant is Jesus. We, we know it from Acts chapter 8. Remember, it was Acts 8 that led us into this study of these servant songs because there the Ethiopian eunuch is reading what is the fourth of the four servant songs. And, and he asks Philip, he says, who is this uh, prophet talking about? Is he talking about himself or another? And we're told there in Acts uh, chapter 8 that, that beginning with that song, Philip declared to him the good news about Jesus. That's not the only uh, reference to these songs in the New Testament. Again and again, we are told that the, this servant is the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, this song itself is quoted in Matthew chapter 12 in reference to Jesus. And so we know that the servant here is Jesus. And so this Advent season, we are looking at these songs to see what they have to teach us about who Jesus is and the work that he came to accomplish. And this morning, looking at this first song, I want us to see three things here. First, I want us to see the servant's mission. I want us to see what it is that the servant came to do. Second, I want us to see the servant's method. I want us to see how he will do what he came to do. And then finally, I want us to see the servant's means, how he's going to be able to do what he came to do. And so let's look again at each of these, the servant's mission, the servant's method, and the servant's means. We, we begin with the servant's mission. And simply stated, the servant's mission is to establish justice in the earth. We, we see this three times in the first four verses. Look again at verse 1. He says, Behold my servant. He says, Look at him. Behold my servant, my chosen one, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him, and he will bring forth justice to the nations. This is what the servant came to do. He came to bring forth justice. We see it again at the end of, of verse 3. He says, He will faithfully bring forth justice justice. And in case we missed it, he says it again in verse 4. He will not grow faint or be discouraged until he has established justice in the earth. And so it's clear from this passage that the, the mission of the servant is to establish justice, to bring justice to the nations. This, this justice is actually the new thing that is referred to there in verse 9. Look again, the, the Lord says, Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare before they spring forth, I tell you of them. The former things are the, uh, is, is the judgment that God had announced against his people. The, the former thing is that, that, that judgment that was going to manifest in their exile from the land. They were going to be kicked out of the land. They were going to be taken into exile by the Babylonians. That was the former thing that God has announced. But, but now the, uh, the prophet is, is speaking from the perspective of that having been accomplished, that having been poured out. And he says, the former things have been done, but now a new thing I announce to you. 
Remember, we saw last Sunday in in chapter 40 that God's judgment was not going to be his last word against his people. He was going to punish them, but he was going to bring them home after that punishment had been poured out. And that is the new thing that he is now announcing. He is now declaring that he is going to bring his people back. But why does he call that salvation? Why does he call bringing them home? Why does he call that justice? Why does he call that establishing justice in the earth? Well, it's not because Judah's exile was somehow unjust. It's it's not that sending them into exile was a wrong, and now he has to right that wrong, but he has to establish justice by undoing the exile. No, the the exile was, was justly deserved. The exile was the just consequence of their sin. It was exactly what they deserved because of their idolatry and and, and faithlessness. It's not at all that the exile was undeserved. But rather, what we need to understand is that the, the language of justice here is being used in a very broad sense. When we hear establish justice, or when we hear do justice, very often we think of, of retribution. We think of, 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 of punishing someone for the things that they have done. That's not the way the word is, is being used here, but rather think of justice as describing a situation where things are right. A situation where everything is as it is supposed to be. In this sense, the the language of justice is actually very similar to the Old Testament language of of shalom. It's it's very similar to the Old Testament language of of peace. It is is the world the way it is supposed to be. It It is the world set right. And what God is saying is that Jesus comes to set the world right. He comes to put things back the way that they are supposed to be. Because that justice, that shalom, that that peace is the defining characteristic of God's kingdom. The the kingdom that Jesus comes to establish on earth as it is in heaven. When Jesus comes announcing the kingdom, he comes announcing his intention to establish justice in the earth. And when we begin to recognize this, when we begin to to recognize the the full scope of of what is being promised here, it is the reason that we long for the day when Jesus will return to bring this good work to completion. We long to live on the earth when God has established his justice through his son, Jesus Christ. We long for that day Because we know all too well that in this present age, things are not as they are supposed to be. In this age, justice and and peace are rare. And even when they are there, they are never pure. All of our relationships, our relationships with creation, our relationships with, with ourselves, our relationships with one another, all of our relationships are marred by sin. We, we see the effects of the curse everywhere. And because of sin, because it has marred and defiled everything, including ourselves, All of our relationships are are bent out of shape. People are are constantly at war with one another, constantly seeking their advantage over their neighbor. Businesses are are always crossing the line in in pursuit of of profit, but governments are are always going too far to, to secure their power. Every relationship that we can think of is marred by sin. And we know this to be true, not only from the news, 
but we know it from our own personal experience. I hear your stories. I know the ways that that the injustice, that the brokenness of this world affects your lives. I've heard the stories of the the situations that that so many of you face at at work where where you are put in uh, impossible situations, where you're treated unfairly, where you are asked to bear unreasonable loads, where you're blamed for things that are beyond your control. I I hear those stories. I, I know the reality of what you are experiencing. And I know that you experience the same sort of brokenness at home. You, you experience the same sort of brokennesses in, in your marriages and in, in your family. You experience it with your friends. I know that all of our relationships are touched by sin. I know that you know firsthand the, the groaning of life in this present evil age. You know the pain of injustice. And therefore you long You long for the king to come. You long for the servant of the Lord to establish justice in the earth. And that's why we long for Jesus' return. Jesus came to put an end to injustice. He came to put an end to strife and to warfare. He came to establish justice in the earth. It's why his birth was heralded as as good news for all people as great joy for the nations by the angels. Of course, for now, we we must wait. We're like the coastlands in in verse 4, waiting for his law to to be uh, established in the earth. We must wait, but we we can wait. We can wait patiently enduring uh, the realities of this present age because we know that he will not fail. The author of Hebrews tells us that we do not yet see all things in submission under his feet, but we see him seated at the right hand of the Father. And therefore we know that what the the, the, uh, prophet sings is true. He will not grow faint or be discouraged until he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. We wait Patiently, we endure because we know he will not fail. That's the the first thing that we need to see here this morning. We need to see the full scope of the glory of what Jesus came to accomplish. He came to accomplish justice. He came to, to bring peace to the earth, to establish the kingdom of God here as it is in heaven. And we long for that day. But there's something else we need to see here. And that's his method. How will he do this? And we find our answer there in verses 2 and 3. Look look again at what the prophet says. The, The Lord says through the prophet that he, that is his servant, will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. So first, he will not cry out in the street. I don't know about you, but it's not immediately clear to me what's intended by that image. I mean, people cry out in the streets for all kinds of reasons, do they not? People cry out in anguish, and they cry out in joy. People cry out with good news. People cry out with warnings. The warrior cries out when he comes to to conquer 
and the weak cry out when they run for their lives. And so what does God mean when he says that his, his servant will not cry out or, or make his voice heard in the street? Well, again, it's, it's not immediately clear. We need to keep reading to understand the, uh, the intention of the prophet. And so look what he says in verse 3 because it's easier for us to understand. God says that the servant will not break off a bruised reed or snuff out a, a faintly burning wick. Not crying out goes with not breaking a bruised reed, not quenching a, a, a faintly burning wick. And so what's the image here? It seems clear that the image is of a, of a gentle healer. You see, there are two ways to establish justice in the earth. One way that you can establish justice is to simply wipe out everything that is wrong. One way to establish justice is to eradicate everything that is not as it should be, to just simply wipe the slate clean. But there's another way. There's another way to establish justice. There's another way to put things right. And that is to renew and to restore and to heal. You can put things new by healing the bruised reed and by tending the faintly burning wick to, to fan it again into flames. And here the prophet is telling us that that is Jesus' method. He doesn't break off the bruised reed. He, he binds it up so that it might heal. He doesn't quench the faintly burning wick, but rather he, he, he tends it that it might burn brightly again. It's exactly what we read in the, the New Testament. Jesus himself says, I did not come for the healthy, but for the sick. He came not for the well, but for the lame. He came not to destroy, but to make new. That's the way of our Savior. And that means that the, the promise of justice in the earth is good news for people like us. Because the truth is, we are all bruised reeds. We are all faintly burning wicks. None of us is as we should be. And I think far too often we're like that player on my dad's baseball team. We think that we have failed and therefore God wants nothing to do with us. It's easy for us to think that way. It's easy for us to, to think that, that when we have fallen short, when we have broken God's law, when we have failed to, to, to shine forth His glory, that He would just cast us aside. We have proven ourselves unworthy of His love. But the reality is that God never loved us because we were worthy. He loved us because He loved us. Because He loved us because he chose to love us even before the foundations of the earth. And therefore, even though we are bruised reeds, even though we are faintly burning wicks, even though, even though we, we struggle with unbelief, and even though we, we, we fall woefully short of obedience again and again and again, and, and even though we, we feel so strongly the pull of our sinful desires of pulling us away from the path of love, even, even though we are bruised reeds and, and faintly burning wicks, we know that He will not cast us aside. In His mysterious grace, he has set his affections on us. He has chosen to, to love us 
And He has come not to, to break us off, but to heal us. Not to, to, to snuff us out, but to fan us into flames that He might present us holy and blameless before His Father. That's the good news of this song. That's what we need to hear this morning. Jesus does not come announcing threats. You see, this helps us understand what it means that he's not going to lift up his voice in the street. It means that he is not a condemning prophet. The Old Testament prophets announced in the street, they announced again and again God's judgment against the sins of the people. It's what the Old Testament prophets did. They, they call, were constantly calling the people uh, uh, to, to task for their sins against the covenant, for, for falling short of God's glory. But, but Jesus himself says, I did not come to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through me. Jesus comes not with loud words of condemnation, but with quiet words of comfort. He comes to bind up. He comes to heal. He comes to make all things new. And think about what this means. It means that you and I do not have to heal ourselves in order to come to him. We do not have to qualify ourselves for a share in his kingdom. No, it means that he comes to us in our brokenness that we might be restored. I think this is what the prophet means when, when God says through him, I will give you, I will give the servant as a covenant for the people. It's a, it's a strange phrase if you think about it. What does it mean to, to give someone as a, as a covenant? But, but when you think about it, uh, when God made covenants with his people, those covenants always had attached to them both promises and Threats, both, both blessings and curses. They were both life and death. And left to ourselves, we always earned the curse. Left to ourselves, we, we always walked into death. But God has not left us to, himself, to ourselves. But rather, he has given Jesus as a covenant for us. Jesus, the, the faithful one, is the covenant keeper, and therefore in him all the blessings of the covenant are ours. And therefore in him, that means that the eyes of the blind are open. In him, the prisoners are set free. This is the, this is the good news that we need to hear. Not only that Jesus is coming to establish justice on the earth, but that he is coming to establish justice for the broken reeds and for the faintly burning wicks. That he is coming to establish his kingdom for people like you and me. This then brings us to our third and final point. The servant's means. It's obvious, is it not, that, that this is good news beyond our wildest imaginings. When we begin to understand the full glory of what God intends to do through his servant, our, our hearts cannot long, uh, cannot but long to see the day when these things would be fulfilled. But you know what they say about things that sound too good to be true? Usually they are. And so the question that we are left asking as we, as we, as we behold the wonder of what, what God promises through Jesus, the, the, the question that we are left asking is, is it true? Can it be true? How can we know that Jesus will do all of this? 
And again, we find our answer here in the song. We find our answer in verse 5. Look again at what God says. He says of his servant that he will not grow faint or be discouraged until he has established justice in the earth. Who says it? God says it. We know it is true because God says it. And notice who God is. Notice what we see there in verse 5. God, the Lord who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to his people and spirit to those who walk in it. God, the the maker of heaven and earth. God, the the giver of life. God, the one who, who breathed spirit into us. The one who made us out of nothing. He is the one who says, my servant will not fail. And if the creator God, if the Lord Almighty says that he will do it, then he will do it. For his word never returns void. If he says that he will uphold his spirit, if he says that that he will sustain him by his spirit, if if he says that his servant will not fail, then we can know that it is true because God has said it. But I know for some, that's, that still leaves you wondering. We want to believe, but we're still plagued by doubts. We, we want to believe, but, but in the midst of this present evil age, we often find faith difficult, if not impossible. And so if that's where you are this morning, if you're, if you're, if you're seeing the, the wonder of the glory of what God has promised, and you know that it's God who has said it, and you, and you so want to believe, but you're still struggling with doubts, then I want you to remember the story of the one this song foretells. Remember, we're talking here about Jesus. The baby who was born in Bethlehem, the baby who who grew up in Israel, the the baby who lived a life of perfection under the law, but who was nevertheless condemned as a sinner. The one who was crucified for us according to the scriptures. The one who was dead and buried. The one who rose again from the dead. Because that's the turning point. Jesus Christ. Christ died for our sins and he was raised again for our justification. And because he rose again, we can know. It's what the author of Hebrews said. We do not yet see all things in submission under his feet, but we see him seated at the right hand of the Father. The Father did not let his Holy One see Corruption. The Father did sustain the servant. He sustained him and kept him even through death. And because God raised him from the dead, we can know for certain that he will not fail to keep all of his promises, that he will not fail to make all things new. You see, Jesus rose as the first fruits of the new creation. And the first fruits guarantee the full harvest. And so because we know He lives, we know that one day He will bring to completion the salvation that His resurrection has secured. Because He is the first fruits, 
We can know for sure that one day the full harvest will be brought in because he has been made new. We can know that one day all things will be made new. We can know that what the servant, what the Lord says of his servant is true. He will not grow faint. He will not be discouraged until he has established justice in the earth. And because that day is sure to come, that is one reason we call this good news. Do you believe that? Amen. Let's believe it together. Father God, give us ears to hear this glorious good news and give us hearts to believe it, Father. We live in the midst of a dark age, Father. We, we see the corruption of sin all around us. We, we see injustice and, and brokenness. We th- see things that are not as they are supposed to be, and we long for things to be put right. Father, give us faith to believe that your Son will not faint or grow weary until he has established justice in the earth. Father, let us rest in that promise, even as we wait for your law. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.